All right, welcome to part seven. Sorry, my water's in the way. Um, what is this right here? Here we go, sorry. <laughs> well, part seven and eight is the conclusion of our series. So why don't we do a little recap here? All right, we've been studying the enemies of the heart. Guilt says I owe you. Anger says you owe me. Greed says I owe me. And then the fourth enemy of the heart is jealousy. When we think about jealousy or envy, we immediately think of the things that others have that we lack, whether it be looks, skills, opportunities, health, height, inheritance, etc. We assume that our problem is with the person who possesses that we, what we lack, so we transfer our jealous feelings towards that person. Okay. In other, in other words, if we look and we start focusing on the things that other people have that we don't, that's when we start to have our jealous feelings. So guilt says, I owe you. Anger says, you owe me. Greed says, I owe me. Jealousy has a little twist to it. Jealousy says, God owes me. What? God owes me? Hey, all the things that you have, let's face it. All the things that you you think that you lack, let's face it. God could have fixed all of that for us. Whether he gave, whatever he gave your neighbor, he could have given you too. And besides, you don't really want your neighbor's car. You want one like it. You don't mind the fact that God providing him with one. The problem is, is that while God was passing cars, he skipped you. The fact that your sister can fit comfortably into a size three pairs of jeans is okay with you. The problem is, is that you can't or shouldn't. The point is, is that there's an imbalance that God could have remedied. And let's face it. Most of us believe on some level that if God had taken as good care of us as he has some people we know, our lives would be better. If he hadn't made you quite so wide, you would feel better about putting on a bathing suit. If he had allowed male pattern baldness to strike you so early in life, poor self-esteem might not be holding you back. If as a teen, you had been as attractive as some of your classmates, you would have tripled your chances for a date on Saturday night. If you had been blessed with surpassing, athlete, with surpassing athletic ability, you could have excelled at sports on high school and maybe even college. That would certainly have changed the trajectory of your life. If God had made you smarter, you would have done better on the LSAT and had a shot at law school. If he had gifted you with better communication skills, you might have worked your way into a top-tier management job by now. I mean, me personally, if I was a more dynamic speaker, I might have been given an opportunity to lead the Collegeville Church or the Oakwood Church or the Andrews University Church, etc., etc. I mean, what in the world was God thinking? The person that we have a problem with is not the one who has what we don't. Believe it or not, and this is hard to stomach, this is hard to really put into consideration. The problem really that we have is not with the person, but it's with our creator. My problem is not with Dwight Nelson. My problem is not with Carlton Byrd or with Doug Batchelor or with Bill Gates or with Brad Pitt 
My problem is with God. He owes me. He owes us. You can fill your list and ultimately, whether you admit it or not, you are saying God owes you. Have you ever thought about it that way? I mean, when we think about jealousy, we think about it in terms of our relationships with others. We don't register it as a grudge against God, but that's exactly what it is. Even though, my friends, our jealousy is an issue with God, it rears its ugly head in our relationship with others. And the irony is that the people we are jealous of can do absolutely nothing to remedy our situation. Can your brother, the all-star, make you a better athlete? Can your Harvard-bound Harvard sister make you brighter? Can your best friend make you skinnier? Of course not. And the thing about it is that jealousy has been rearing its ugly head for like centuries and centuries. I mean, since the beginning of time, if you will think back in history, jealousy has played roles in many, many occasions. I mean, think about it. Cain was jealous of Abel. Sarah was jealous of Hagar. Esau, jealous of Jacob. Joseph's brothers were jealous of Joseph. Saul was jealous of David. Think about it now. Hillary Clinton was jealous of Sarah Palin. Woody was jealous of Buzz. The good news is that this monster of the heart, just like the other three, has a vulnerability. But I want you to really, really look at yourself and really ask yourself this question. Before we look at the solution in jealousy, let's look at the problem just a little bit more. It is important to look a little bit deeper because we can find the driving force behind jealousy. And when we find it, we find the force behind every relationship struggle we have in life. Every one of them from marriage problems to personnel problems at work to conflict problems in the church, all of them can be reduced to one common issue. Now, maybe I'm oversimplifying it. This is actually not my idea. This is actually coming from the word. And it actually originated in James, in the book of James, James, the half brother of Jesus. So turn with me right now to James chapter four. Let's look for James chapter four. And we'll start in verse one. Okay, I want you to, Follow me as I read. James chapter four, verse one. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasures that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. Right? Let's actually focus first on the first verse. Where do wars and, and fights come from among you? It's funny because James is actually answering this question with another question. Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? So where is this all coming from? It's all coming from inside of us here. James asks a question that can sum up the question we have been wondering about all along. Why do we have relationship problems? Well, look again. James seems to think that our external conflicts are the direct result of an internal conflict that has worked its way to the surface. In other words, 
our conflicts all come from within. They all come from inside. They all come from our own issues. Ah, and I got to tell you, really looking at ourselves, really analyzing ourselves as why we do the things that we do, it's a painful process. But it's a process that we all need to go through if we really want to grow and be the people that God wants us to be. Have you ever asked yourself this question? Isn't it interesting that the people we hurt the most are the ones that we claim we love the most? The people who birthed us, raised us, exchanged vows with us? Why them of all people? James would say it very simple. They are close in proximity. When I can't contain the conflicting rage within me, it spills out on those closest to me, even if they are the innocent bystanders. So according to James chapter four, what causes this internal struggle that this internal struggle that threatens the peace of every home and, and office and church? James comes out and say it very plainly in verse two. You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. So in other words, you want your own way and you don't want to get rid of the internal struggle. And the reason why it's there is because you haven't asked God to help you with that. There it is. The source of every conflict that you and I will ever experience. We can't get what we want. We can't have our way. In other words, we don't get what we want because we're asking the wrong person. Instead of burdening the people we love with desires that they can't fill, James says, take those desires to our Heavenly Father. Think about it like this. Who created those appetites? Who created those desires? Who created those emotions? Was it your sister, your spouse, your boss, your neighbor? No. So why should we expect these mere humans to be capable of satisfying these appetites? The more you feed these appetites, the more they will grow. And actually, when I'm thinking about it, I mean, I'm sure that you've read, you've heard the story of, of two tigers, uh, the two tigers that were actually in the in, in like a circle, a controlled circle, and the people were betting money um, uh, to basically um, uh, see which one would win. And there was a guy that would always, always win. So one of them asked, hey, what's the secret? How, do, how come you always know which tiger is going to win? It's very simple. It's the one that is fed the, it's, is fed the best. Which tiger are we feeding? And which tiger are we starving? The point is our desires and pleasures are not best dealt with by continually trying to satisfy them. So then what is the solution? What do we do with these desires and appetites that we can't fully satisfy? James says, take them to the one who created them in the first place. James says, take them to the one who created them in the first place. So, hey, okay, so we give them to God. We give them to him. And then in verse three, what does it say? You ask and do, do not receive because you ask amiss, 
that you may spend it on your pleasures. Hmm. The verse kind of takes the fun out of it, doesn't it? James tells us to bring all of our desires to God and then tells us that he may say no. Well, the fact is, is that God loves you too much to give you all that you ask for. As a parent, you want to satisfy your kids. You want to make your kids as happy as possible. Those of you that are listening to me, that are parents, do you give your kids everything that they ask for? If you do, I'm going to have to pray for you. Because I'm sorry, a good parent never gives their kids everything that they ask for. Because here's the thing, kids don't really know all the time what it is that they want. So therefore, somebody that is looking after them, somebody that's their guardian knows a little bit better. Well, guess what? God does the same thing with us. He knows us better. He knows what we need better than we know. So therefore, Jesus says, hey, you need to just give this to me. Uh, the issue in every quarrel or fight that we have is that we each want our own way. When we, when we will internalize this concept, then we get this into our heads. It will make a huge difference in our relationship. So until we own our part of the problem, I will blame the other person. Until I own my part of the issue, I'm going to constantly cast out and start barfing out stuff on other people. I have never talked to a husband or a wife that said that the reason they have such marital bliss was because I blame the other person. So what do we do here? By the way, you know what blame is? Blame is simply the admission that I cannot be happy with somebody else's cooperation. Plain and simple. Blame is telling us that we are people that depend on others for that happiness. Well, but what about us with God? Now you're asking yourself, we've talked about jealousy so much. Pastor, what is the remedy for jealousy? If guilt has a remedy, which is confession. If anger has a remedy, which is forgiveness. If greed has an enemy, which is Giving, jealousy must have a cure itself. What is it? I'm here to tell you right now that when it comes to jealousy, you might not look at it as you're used to usually. And it does have a cure. What is the cure for jealousy? Stay tuned.